0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. God created us for community, and with community comes conflict. It seems ever-present in our day-to-day lives from little things to big things. In today's society, cancel culture is prevalent, and when there's conflict in our lives, it can be easy to turn to the ways of canceling one another. Knowing how to resolve conflict lovingly is an essential component of our lives. When we resolve conflicts out of love, we honor Christ. Join us in our new series, Conflicted, pursuing peace in a cancel culture, where we'll turn to the gospel of Matthew to see what Jesus has to say about him. Well, hey
1: there, Westside family. It is so good to be with you this morning. For those of you who I haven't had the pleasure of being able to meet, I'm Pastor Chris, and I am so privileged to be able to lead us in the word of God today. Before we dive in, I just wanna say a huge thank you to all of our campus pastors and their wives, their families, you know, one of the greatest gifts that God has given to Woodside is your campus pastor and their families who care for you deeply, carry you in their hearts. I know these leaders very well. And I know how much they love you. And so I just want to give a big shout out to them and all of our staff and team and leaders across all of our campuses. Woodside is one family across 14 different communities and through our global partners across the globe. But We are brought together because of one mission, our passion to see men and women belong to Christ, growing Christ, and reach the world for Christ. And so each one of you are a vital part in that mission and vision. And I am so grateful to be a part of our spiritual family. Now, one of the things that we do every year for the last four weeks of the year here at Woodside is what we call our Christmas Vision Campaign to share with you some of the vision things, items that we are dreaming about and to invite us collectively as a church family to help to fund some things that we think will make a, absolutely amazing impact for the gospel being advanced this year we're looking at four different areas one we want to make sure that our campus budgets are fully funded uh, so as you're praying each week uh, your campus's budget is in your bulletin and so you can look and see how's my campus doing and we hope that as we close that gap we can go into the new year at or ahead of budget so that we can make sure we're saying yes to every gospel door that God is opening up. But we're also excited to be able to partner with the Dream Centers to be able to help to fund local life change and transformation through the outreaches and ministries of the Dream Centers uh, throughout Pontiac. Thirdly, we're going to be able to rally around our global partners. I'm really excited about Akha John and the Akha people, over 3 million Akha people in Thailand, in Laos, in China. And uh, our partner there has been training pastors to go throughout Laos, throughout uh, Thailand, and throughout China to carry the gospel. Well, we've purchased the land, but now they need our help to raise money to build the training center. So we're going to be doing that. And then finally, we're going to rally around the next generation of leaders through our Leadership Institute. Our Leadership Institute is our vision to have a pipeline of men and women, young men and women who answer the call of Christ to serve God with their lives, either through the local church or commitment to serving the global church. And Woodside, we are so blessed to have young men and women in their 20s and passionate about Jesus, ready to answer the call and to lay their lives down. All they need is our investment and support. So we're gonna share these things with you and so much more starting uh, the Sunday right after Thanksgiving and going throughout December. So get ready and get geared up for that as we celebrate what God has done and we launch into our Christmas vision. Well, today I wanna go into the word of God together. Uh, We're gonna be looking at a great passage scripture that really speaks to us about the type of community God wants us to be, how we are to treat one another as family in Christ, as brothers and sisters in Christ, how should the way we treat and interact with one another look different than those who aren't? in Christ. You know, uh, this passage that we're going to be looking at today and this message really reminds me of the family that I grew up in, and maybe it'll remind you of the same. I grew up with a mom and dad who really loved me and my brother. They uh, provided for every one of our needs. They loved us deeply. I grew up in a really good home, not perfect, but a good home. And then my mom was uh, a sweet woman. She is a very sweet woman. And typically she was pretty gentle and caring and compassionate, but there were times when her disappointment would get aroused. And everyone knew that if you wanted to see the other side of Pat Brooks, if you wanted to see her anger aroused, nothing did it more than when me and my brother would fight one another when she saw her kids mistreating one another, that really aroused her disappointment and caused her anger to be on display. I could still hear my mother's voice today telling me and my brother things like, look out for one another, have each other's back. I remember her saying things like, hey, when I'm gone, you'll only have one another, so make sure you're taking care of one another. And in many ways, if you were to sum up the primary value that drove our family as we tried to live out our Christian faith, and I would even say the heart of the passage that we're gonna look at today, it can be summed up in a slogan that was popularized by the French novelist, Alexandre Dumas, who wrote the famous book and later play, The Three Musketeers all for one and one for all. Maybe you've heard that statement before, that was the value of my home, maybe it was the value of your home. And even if it wasn't, it certainly is the value of the Christian family. That in Christ, it is all for one and one for all. We have each other's back. We look out for one another. In a world that walks away from one another, we pursue and stay committed to one another. And that's why we have launched this series, we call it Conflicted, and it's our way of acknowledging that we live in a very divided world and culture, that we live in a very polarized world and culture. As a matter of fact, I would argue that things have reached a tipping point, that division and polarization are no longer just fringe issues, It's not even just what we do anymore. Sadly, it's who we are. We are a divided people. As a matter of fact, I think conflict is our favorite sport. And we play that sport 24 hours a day, seven days a week on social media. And so we have become what's known as a cancel culture. Now, that term, cancel culture, most sociologists will agree, became popularized in the early 2010s. As social justice movements were growing and advancing throughout our country, this whole thought of cancel culture became very popularized. But over the years, it's expanded beyond social justice movements and really encompasses all of us. It was in 2019 where this uh, viral New York Times article written by uh, uh, journalist Jonah Engel Brown, Brownwich was written entitled, Everyone is Cancelled. And that's the way it feels. It feels like everyone is canceled. And if you haven't been canceled yet, just wait long enough, you probably will. But the body of Christ, the community of believers, the family of faith, we operate differently. We don't cancel one another. No, we pursue one another. We highly value one another. And that's exactly what Jesus is talking about in our passage today. So grab your Bibles, open your apps to Matthew 18. And we're going to be looking at verses 10 through 14 today. And I believe what we're going to see is that God values and pursues each one of us like it was only one of us and he wants us to do the same. That's right, God values and he pursues each one of us like it was only one of us and he wants us to do the same. But what does that look like practically? Well, let's look at verse number 10 and we'll look at verse number 11 as well. And what we're gonna see is the first way that this looks. And I believe it can be summed up in this statement is that instead of looking down on others in Christ, we lift each other up. Instead of looking down on brothers and sisters in Christ, we are called to lift one another up. Let's look at verse number 10. It says, See that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. For the Son of Man came to save that which is lost. I love this uh, verse of scripture. I love what Jesus is doing here. To understand what's happening, you got to know that the broader context of Matthew 18 is Jesus giving instructions patiently to his disciples about how we're supposed to treat one another as spiritual family. And we know that this is a family verse by the term of endearment he uses when he refers to the believer. He calls us little ones. I love that. As a matter of fact, throughout Scripture, throughout the uh, New Testament, and particularly throughout the Gospel of Matthew, believers are referred to again and again as little children. One of the mistakes in interpreting this passage is to think that this is referring primarily or even exclusively to just physical babies or physical infants or small children, when in reality, this is a term of endearment referring to spiritual children. Jesus is wanting us to know the Father's heart, and it's as if God the Father, speaking through God the Son, is uh, having a family meeting, and I want you to picture this, God uh, inviting us to gather around the table as He shares His Father's heart with us, and if He were to share what was most important to His heart about how we are to treat one another, it would be summed up in the Words, this statement, see to it that you don't despise one of these little ones. Now, in the Greek, that word despise means to have contempt for someone. It means to devalue a person. It means to look down on a person. And so it's clear what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that if you're going to really capture the heart of God, as it pertains to the way that you see brothers and sisters in Christ, then that means that you're not gonna look down on them, that you're not gonna devalue them, that unlike the world, we're not gonna have contempt for one another, but we're gonna look for every opportunity to uplift one another. We're gonna look for every opportunity to see one another through the eyes of esteem and value. I know what you must be thinking. What about the ones who I don't like? What about the ones who are wrong? What about the ones who uh, maybe make mistakes? I want you to notice that there's no asterisk by this command, that Jesus doesn't quantify it or qualify it at all. He doesn't try to limit it or put borders around it. In other words, he expects that we would treat everyone with the same esteem. That we would treat every brother and sister in the body of Christ with the same love and compassion that he has for us. Remember the words of Alexander Dumas, all for one and one for all. That's how he expects us to love one another. So what do you do with a brother and sister who maybe makes a mistake? You love them. Don't despise them. What do you do with a brother or sister who maybe has um, blown it? You love them. You don't despise them. What do you do with a brother or sister in Christ that you disagree with? It doesn't mean that you don't talk about how we can show greater fidelity to the word of God. What it does mean is that we don't allow a contempt to develop in our hearts where we treat them as if they are a non-believer, or not a part of the family. No, we should treat every member of the body of Christ as if they are a part of the family, deeply connected to us. Again, I hear my mother's words. Look out for one another. Have each other's back. And I think this is what Jesus is getting at. Don't despise these little ones, but care for them. Let me give you an example of this. One of the initiatives that I said we're gonna be looking at during our Christmas vision campaign is supporting our dream centers. Well, one of the great initiatives of the dream centers is that we have now three lookout houses. These lookout houses are ways for us to literally look out for those within our community that need a second chance in life. It's a live-in, intense discipleship program that allows young men in that community to be able to enter into not only discipleship, but to pick from one of three tracks, either an educational track, a workforce development, or employment track, or an entrepreneurial track, so that they can have a a future, and a hope. Let's just say, for example, a young man comes to us and he enters into this program and he becomes a follower of Jesus Christ, but his past is full of mistakes that he regrets, uh, things that he's done that he's not proud of, uh, cycles of sin patterns in his life. How should he expect for us to look at him when he walks into those doors? How should we look at him? I pray that every young man that's in that program, every young man that's been through our lookout house and every future young man that will come because of our generosity in supporting that program will not feel like we look down on him but rather that we lifted him up that we esteemed him, that we were the voices in his ear telling him you can be all that God has called you to be, that your future doesn't have to be a repeat of your past. I pray that our houses, our lookout houses, will be places of grace for these young men. Why? Why should we live this way? Why should we lift one another up instead of looking down on each other in Christ? Well, Jesus gives us two reasons. The first reason he gives us in verse number 10 is because their angels in heaven are always before the face of my father in heaven. Now, this is Jesus's way of saying that our heavenly father is ever mindful of his little children, his little ones. As a matter of fact, this is a way of him saying that these angels who according to Hebrews chapter one, verse number 14, are ministering spirits sent to minister on behalf of those who will inherit salvation, that these angels are always ready to be dispatched to care for our needs. It was the great uh, theologian John Calvin who said these words, the whole doctrine of scripture declares that the angels encamp around the godly and that they have been commissioned to guard every one of the faithful and to care for them as their needs necessitate. I love that. I love the fact that what God has done is assigned these angels to the household of faith, the community of believers. Now some have read into this kind of a guardian angel type of theology that every one of us has but one angel assigned to us, and I don't think that that's what this passage is so much getting at. I think it's far more communal. I think this is a family passage in which God is trying to communicate again what the writer of Hebrew says in Hebrews 1 and 14, that the angels' ministry, that their entire mission is to care for the community of believers. But even more importantly, this reveals to us about the heart of God, that he is always mindful about us, that he's always thinking about his children, that he cares deeply for his little ones. And you're one of those little ones. He cares for you. He sees you. He knows every tear you're crying. He knows every need of your heart. He knows those private prayer requests that you don't even tell to your best friends. He knows the struggle of your heart. But he loves not just you. He loves every one of his little ones to say. So what does this mean for you and I as we seek to apply a text like this It means that if God is mindful of his little ones, we need to be mindful of his little ones. We shouldn't look down on them, rather we should lift them up because God doesn't look down on them. I love this passage in the book of James chapter one where we're invited that if any of us lack wisdom, let him ask of God, but it goes on to say, who does not find fault but gives the wisdom liberally. I love that, that when we come to God in our brokenness, when we come to God with our hands thrown up saying, this is too much for me, I don't know how to solve this problem, I don't know how to fix this, that God doesn't lecture us, he doesn't berate us, but rather he gives liberally what we need. That's how we should respond. Well, the second reason he gives, why well, we should uh, not look down on each other but lift one another up is in verse number 11. Verse number 11 is an interesting verse because some translations have chosen to put it in the body of the text. Others' translations have chosen to footnote it. If you have a print Bible, some of your translations may have it in the footnote section. And it gives me the opportunity to just talk to you about our doctrine of scripture, what we believe about scripture. You know, Christians believe that scripture, as it was originally given and penned by the prophets and the apostles, Apostles is faultless. We call this the doctrine of inerrancy that scripture in its original autographs as it was originally given to the prophets and to the apostles is without error or without fault. All scripture is God breathed. We also believe that we have really faithful copies that have been preserved for us throughout the centuries so that we can trust reliable translations and one of the ways that these translations help us to have confidence in them is by studying ancient manuscripts now ancient manuscript is simply a old ancient copy of scripture that has been handed down from one generation to the next Now, one of the ways that scholars or translation committees will approach scripture is when they see that a verse of scripture is in all the ancient manuscripts, they know with high confidence that it should be included in the body of the text. They know that these were actually words that were penned by the prophets and the apostles. Now that's true for about 99.6% of the scriptures that we have in our modern translations, those reliable translations. Before about 0.4%, there is debate on whether or not it should be in the body of the text or footnoted because it may show up in some ancient manuscripts, but not in others causing scholars to want to make sure that they are communicating to us about the fact that there's some debate on whether or not this should be in the body of the text or it should be footnoted. Now, here's the good news. There is no doctrine of scripture, no question about the character of Christ or what we know about his mission that comes into question with any of these verses that fall within the uh, 0.4% of uh, those verses that are debated. As a matter of fact, the one in verse number 11 that we're looking at today, it is believed to be a statement that Jesus made over and again. As a matter of fact, he makes this same statement in Luke chapter 19, verse number 10, where he says these words, famous words, for the son of man came to seek and save the lost. So let's assume like the King James Version does, that it should be in the body of the text here. And I love that it is because it communicates to us the second reason why Jesus wants us to be at all for one and one for all community. A community that doesn't look down on one another, but lifts one another up. It's because his very mission as our Savior was to seek and save us. That when we look down on one another with contempt, we're actually showing contempt for his redemptive work, that that when we devalue one another, we're actually devaluing him as our savior and his work of redeeming and forgiving us. Let me tell you, you probably already know this, that Jesus didn't put your salvation up for vote. He didn't make it a democratic initiative. The community of believers didn't get a chance to vote on whether or not you got in to the body of Christ. And I'm so glad that you guys didn't get a chance to vote on my salvation because maybe you wouldn't have let me in, but Jesus did. And praise God, we didn't get a chance to vote on your salvation because Jesus let you in. I love the fact that the Bible says, whosoever believes in him shall be saved. And so we should accept one another because Christ accepted us. We should accept one another because Christ went through the great lengths of going to the cross, laying down his life, shedding his precious blood so that we who put our faith and trust in him could be a part of the spiritual family And because we're a part of the spiritual family, we are loved and we should love one another. Well, how does this apply to us here within the church? It applies in this way, that we should always avoid the temptation to getting into Twitter fights with other believers Because the world is watching, because Jesus is watching, because God is watching, and because when we are mistreating one another publicly, we're bringing a reproach to the name of Jesus. That we should avoid uh, contempt for one another. We should do everything we can to pursue and highly value one another because that's what Christ did for us. Well. The second point he makes in these few short verses is that we don't cancel the one who strays from Christ, rather we chase after them. Look at verses 12 through 14. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one who went astray? And if he finds it, truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. Man, I want you to see the tender love and the tender heart of Jesus. Again, Jesus trying to drive home that we are an all-for-one and one-for-all family, a family that pursues and highly values one another. Instead of uh, condemning or uh, devaluing one another, he he does it by illustrating this through a story. And the story is a pretty straightforward story that through time and culture, we may not fully understand, so I want to explain it. So Jesus says, imagine there's a shepherd with a hundred sheep. If you've ever been over to this part of the world, it is common for you to see a shepherd, typically a young boy, walking with his sheep or his cattle through a field or even in the midst of a metropolitan area. But Jesus says, imagine if there is a shepherd with a hundred sheep and one of them were to leave. How do you expect that shepherd to respond? Now, all of his disciples would have known readily how that shepherd would have responded. You see, shepherds bonded with their sheep. They had relationship with their sheep. Shepherding was something that was deeply personal to that culture, to that group of people. So losing a sheep was like, in our day and age, losing a family pet. Imagine if your dog ran away or your cat ran away, how would you respond to that? Many of us would be in hot pursuit, exactly like this shepherd is, and he leaves the 99. Now, in order to understand this, you got to know that shepherds typically in that culture, in that part of the world, Typically walk together with other shepherds. They don't walk alone. So leaving the 99 wouldn't have left them unprotected. The assumption is there would have been another shepherd or other shepherds there to look after that 99 while the heart of the shepherd who lost that one sheep who went astray could go and pursue the one who went astray. I want you to see the pursuit. I want you to see the father's heart. And again, I want you to see that there is no asterisk put on this verse. He doesn't say to us why the sh- the sheep left the fold. The sheep could have left the fold because of shame, because of guilt, because of a mistake. All we know is that the sheep is no longer connected to the community of Christ And that, to Jesus, is a problem. And I want you to think about your own campus, or I want you to think about the body of Christ. How many sheep do you know right now that are disconnected and no longer in fellowship? Maybe it's because of guilt or shame, or maybe it's because of mistakes that they made Or maybe it's because they felt unloved or even wounded by the body of Christ. We shouldn't be okay with them being disconnected. We, like the Father, should have a heart to see them restored and reconciled and redeemed, brought back into fellowship and connection with the community of believers Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of God for you and for me, and it's the heart that God wants us to have for one another. You see, God loves all of us and each of us as if there was only one of us. I want you to see that, that God loves each of us as if there was only one of us. That's why he tells us not to cancel the brother who's disconnected, the sister who's disconnected, but to chase after them. God gets glory from a brother or sister restored back into fellowship than he does for them to remain disconnected. Now, I know what it's like to feel like, man, good riddance. See you later. You were an annoyance anyway or a bother anyway. But anytime those types of thoughts begin to creep into my mind and my heart about one of you— Or another brother or sister in Christ, then it means my heart needs to change. Notice what the shepherd doesn't say. The shepherd doesn't say, Oh, that dumb sheep, they deserve to be disconnected. Notice the shepherd doesn't say, Well, I got 99 others. Who cares if the one is disconnected? No, the shepherd demonstrates his love by saying that one is as valuable as that 99. Again, God loves each one of us as if there was only one of us. Let me give you an example of what this looks like in our Christmas vision campaign that's coming up. In our Christmas vision campaign in just a couple weeks, we're going to be asked to help to train leaders in Thailand so that they can go after the lost sheep in China, in Laos, in Thailand, among the Aka people. Now, we may not know the Aka people, and we may not know intimately these lost sheep, but these brothers and sisters in Thailand serving under our global partner, Aka John, they know them, And they want to pursue them. They want to chase after them. And so we get a chance to help to fund that and to support that. I'll give you another example of this. In just a couple of weeks, you're going to be asked, along with me, we're going to rally and pool our funds together to help to close the budget gap on your campus. Why do these campuses exist at our best When we're really living out our mission, our campuses exist to chase after and pursue lost sheep and those who have yet to come to Christ. We chase after those who are disconnected from the body with the gospel of reconciliation, saying, be reconciled to God. We chase after them with our love, with our good works, and yes, with the gospel always on our lips. That's what this campaign is all about. And that's what the mission of the church is all about. Maybe you're here today because somebody chased after you. Maybe you're in church today because when you could have been canceled, the body of Christ didn't cancel you. They chased after you in your mistakes or your shame or your guilt or your woundedness. Do for others what's been done for you. Since God loves each of us as if there was only one of us, we should love one another the same. So I pray that today, as you look at this passage, that it stirs and arouses your heart, that it gives you a vision for how we ought to love one another, that it motivates our generosity as a church to be on mission, to pursue what the world throws away and to highly value what the word condemns. And when we live this way, we are bringing pleasure to the heart of God. He takes joy in his kids, loving one another. I hope this message has been an encouragement to you. I'm gonna turn it back over to your team there at your campus. But please know that I love you and we're praying for you. And I believe that together, the best is yet to come. God bless Woodside and I can't wait to be with you soon.